Good morning or good evening, depending on which part of the world you're in. This is James, aka Legion, from the Two Drunk Flings and Friends podcast, coming to you semi-live from Florida. And with me this evening, for me, this morning, for him, we have Torsten Blader. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. And it's a great opportunity for us to be able to interview you. Oh, uh, you're welcome. I really enjoyed your podcast over the past few years, or yeah, actually a year. Earlier, I did not notice it, but after you had Milo on it, it was quite popular for me since I'm a fling player as well. Fantastic. So for those of you who uh, are in the know, Torsten recently just utilized the biggest set of brass balls that most have, have ever seen by putting together the World Cup that just went down in Dornburn, Austria, correct? Yep, that's correct. Already three weeks old, still fresh in everybody's minds, though. Yep. And uh, it's going to be even fresher since I just uploaded the uh, database information last night. I saw that. Yeah, people have been waiting on that, uh, obviously eagerly anticipating to see all their NAF results and their standings and their everybody loves their numbers. So I'm familiar with you from having done the Voodoo tournament series that we have here in Florida and several other states. At the time, that was about two years ago, you were doing that for the NAF. So you obviously you have a, a long history with uh, the NAF. How did you get started in you know doing more than just playing Blood Bowl? How did you get involved with the NAF? Actually, I joined the NAF fairly early in 2003, I think. I was uh, at this point still living in the US and attended a Chaos Cup where I ran into Oldman Monkey and all the other guys who actually were more involved in the NAF. And yeah, they just told me about this organization and what they do, and I just loved it from the beginning. So you joined the NAF at Chaos Cup, and then how did you end up getting involved in, you know, more than that? Well, over the years, I was unsuccessfully running uh, for some elections. <laughs> <laughs> I think at first one was treasurer, and then I think was a tournament director at one point, where Nate beat me. Actually, I'm happy about that he beat me, because he did a great job for being a tournament director and now being a president. And when Mike Davis became president and Dutch Dave stepped down as vice president, he asked me to be the vice president since I was involved already with other things. And so I said, yes, sure. Challenge accepted. And ever since then, I'm vice president of the NAF. That's fantastic. I love when people kind of want to get involved and, you know, see how things work and see how they can help and contribute. And uh, certainly, you know, you've done far more than your share. So how about uh, regarding tournaments now? So obviously you've just run this past year's World Cup. Prior to that, what other tournaments were you involved in that you either ran or co-ran? I started, I was actually uh, still in the U.S. running my first tournament in Minnesota. It was the uh, uh, Sorcerer's Stone Cup. Okay. Uh, because it was played in the source in Minnesota, in actually Minneapolis, I think it was. And after I moved over to Europe again, there was a Euro Bowl set up, uh, becoming really, really popular. And I did something similar within Germany. It was called so-called D Bowl, where all the states of Germany was competing against each other. That actually ran for a couple of years, but I was not involved in that anymore. So I did my own little tournament in the backyard with free beer and free burgers. Mmm, burger. While playing. Free beer and burgers. That's my type of tournament. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny because I was serving food and drinks while the people were playing. So there were basically no breaks in between games. It was just getting wasted and, and full of food. 
Now you sound like me. Yeah. Where I, I have just as much fun running a tournament as I do playing in one. Yeah, I was not too successful playing. I mean, I, I won one tournament in Switzerland before there was a trophy. Came on up to second place twice, I think. But mostly I won the uh, most stunty awards for playing flings. Yay! <laughs> a man after my own heart. I'm in the middle. I'm six months in to playing a year of flings. Oh, you're a rookie. <laughs> I, I am, yeah. And and it started years ago in our home league. I live in Florida now, but I was from uh, Pennsylvania originally. And the league that we played in there, the Triple D Blood Bowl League, we had a fling coach and he dropped out halfway through. And my friend Tom, who was the commissioner of the league, he's like, well, I don't really want to just give forfeits. He's like, why don't we just leave the team open and whatever coach has availability, they can just sub in. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. He took a turn subbing in as the fling coach Later, I just remember him calling me that night and he's like, dude, you got to play flings. Have you ever played them before? I'm like, nope. He's like, you got to do it. It's just wild abandon. I didn't give a shit. I didn't care. I just did what I wanted. And I had so much fun. He's like, you got to try it. So I did. I think it was like maybe two matches later. I ended up playing against uh, my friend Roger, who was a pretty experienced coach and he was playing high elves. I literally went in with uh, no fucks given and it was halftime and I was up three nothing. I just don't think he was expecting flings being thrown, trees just smashing his team apart. He ended up coming back and tying it up. We finished the match at 3-3, Halflings versus High Elves. But it was right then and there that I knew, holy crap, Halflings could be contenders if played the right way. Actually, I managed once legendary game uh, against Dieter uh, in our Munich League, uh, where I made three touchdowns in two turns. Unbelievable, Jeff! <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome coming back from a 0-3 to a 3-3 and then still lost 4-3. <laughs> yeah, but still, that that's quite the achievement, though, and that's legendary. You won't forget that anytime soon. Neither will your opponent. Never. Actually, last night I played uh, Flinks and Arrow Munich League again, and actually won against the Chaos team. Ooh, nice. Which has almost double the team value. So you had some inducements. What did you take? Took Mork, Kala, and two Apples, a Bribe, and a Babe. Whew. Yeah, Morg, did you use Morg as your ball carrier? Nope. I use Flinks. Because whenever I use Morg as a ball carrier, he sucks. Yeah, whenever I use Carla as a ball carrier, she can't pick up the damn ball. Well, she did a double skull, reroll double skull, and went in the KO <laughs> box in the first half. Do you like the new Halfling build that uh, was released a couple months ago? I'm playing with two Hefties right now. You are using the Hefties. See, I haven't figured out the best way to use them. I'm all about the catchers, love the catchers, but I haven't really worked the hefties into my roster yet. Since I, I'm playing it with a current league setting, I have more or less my catchers already built up, mm -hmm. so I did not use them. And the hefties filled up some two empty spots I had. So far, I'm, I'm happy with them. Fent drives the people nuts when they play against me, so that's good. <laughs> have you taken Rumbelow Sheepskin out for a ride yet? Not yet. I just got the mini from Tom Anders uh, during the World Cup, so I have to oh, yeah. get him and uh, also Cindy Pybizzle painted, so that will take a while. <laughs> That'll be a lot of fun once you get those star players on the pitch. I love Rumbelo. He's a lot of fun. Yeah, so six months into playing Flings, and the first tournament that I played him in, I actually won the Stunny Cup. and. It's part, in fact, due to my last match, I was playing against a guy, I don't know if you, you've heard of him, but uh, we have a guy here in the States, his name is Doombeard Dave, Dave Arvello. All right, Dave, how's it going, all right? And he loves his uh, most violent, most casualty award. So we have a guy very similar to him, his name's Jason Carter, and 
He goes by the moniker Voorhees Carnivian. He wears a hockey mask, like a Jason Friday the 13th hockey mask when he plays. He's always about most casualties. So when he saw he was playing my flings, all he could think of was just casualties, casualties, casualties. He didn't care about the ball. So I managed to pick up the ball. I managed to throw a fling, managed to score, managed to run one in. I ended up winning that match two to one. So the win gave me the Stunny Cup. So the first tournament that I started playing for my year of flings, I won the Stunny Cup. Nice. Nice. I took him the Chaos Cup. I, I played Chris Kakos. So now you were in a league in Minneapolis. You might know the guy because I think he he plays in the league now there. This was his first Chaos Cup, I believe. And he and I, he played Ogres and I played Halflings for the Stunny Cup. And he ended up beating me pretty good. I took a, a very unusual, unorthodox team build for Chaos Cup. I ended up taking just one tree and two star players. And in all my matches, I felt like taking the one tree was not a detriment at all. I did well with it until I played him with Ogres. All those strength five Ogres I could not contend with. I needed a second tree, and I didn't have him, and he ended up beating me to nothing. Yeah, I love my trees, unless they are on the ground. That's why I started giving them jump up instead of block. You know, I've been giving them pro lately. You know, with the, the take rooted, it helps. With the standing up, it helps. If I roll, you know, a skull or both down, I could re-roll it. Pro, I actually like the skill, but somebody else just told me that they were putting jump up on their trees, and I'm like, really? Oh, really? I'll have to give that a try. Well, it definitely keeps them off the ground. Yeah, definitely. Instead of having them roll three times off getting up, and then the, the game is basically past you, they're right there. I don't use them for doing a jump up block, because that's insane with agility one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when you, you have nothing left to lose, and you're going to start pulling those kind of shenanigans. Now, how do you feel about break tackle on a tree? Keep them like kind of agile and getting out of base-to-base contact with other players. Actually, in league play, I have one tree with break tackle and block okay. and grab. So that's a really nice feature. Unless he roots like he did yesterday most of the time, then break tackle is kind of pointless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I did not know that you were such a big fling player. What? <laughs> so that's awesome to find out. Part of the reason why, you know, I, I like doing these interviews with people is the way that I know you by reputation is through the stuff that you do with the NAF and, you know, you helping me with the tournament series here in Florida. And uh, obviously now with World Cup and, and running that event. But as far as like an individual coach and, and what you play when you play tournaments and leagues, I had no idea. So being able to have these conversations with people is fantastic. I love it. I had my little flings, second edition and third edition flings painted with checkers pants. I will never ever do this again. <laughs> and uh, the, the motto of my, my flings is Ritter Mord. You know the little uh, chocolate bars called Ritter Sport? Yes. I think you also have them. And I painted every single one in the colors of the, the chocolate bars. That sounds tedious. And the rerolls, I usually use a 4x4 four four squares, the little ones. Mm -hmm. And whenever I need a reroll, I put it aside. And if it's successful for me, my opponent has to eat it. And if it's, <laughs> it's unsuccessful, I have to eat it. That sounds very fair, but tasty. Midoff have two. My opponents have a sugar shock. <laughs> they cannot concentrate anymore. <laughs> so you're playing dirty, trying to use the old pie trick. Of course. It's flings. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. I have so much fun playing flings. The team that I'm using is the um, Iron Golems halfling team that the two drunk flings helped with the Kickstarter. I love that team. Yes, I saw that. The tree men, however, they're, I, I love those tree men, but they're really tall, and I don't have them on 
wide enough bases so they're always toppling over, especially the one with his leg up in the air. Mm-hmm. So I started using Deep Root as a tree, just a standard tree. I love the Deep Root Forge World model. So many people, when that model came out, they either absolutely loved it or they absolutely hated it. And I was one of those people who fell into the love category. I think it's just a great looking model. In general, I like it. I just don't get the idea with this huge brick in his hand. That's something I don't understand. Yeah, it was an interesting choice, but I saw some people do some adjustments on that, some conversions, and uh, they put other things in his hand, like a, a halfling, or I think somebody might have put some food or something like that in his hand, and I thought that's pretty uh, clever to do that. Yeah, food is nice. <laughs> and then there was, a, it might have been for Eurobowl, it was a tree man with the NAF sigil on it, and he was kind of like hunched over. I use him as a secondary tree man. I love that model a lot. But yeah, I love playing halflings. Just having so much fun playing them. And even once this year is up, I'll, I'll still continue to play them. But I plan on doing a year of ogres after the uh, halflings are up. Nah, ogres, nothing for me. I just played them <laughs> at German Team Bowl. was horrible experience. Yeah, a lot of ones, a lot of boneheads. Uh, it looks like every time my opponent blocked one of those runs, they were just dying immediately. Oh, just yeah. breathing at them, they're done. Fodder. They're annoying, though. If they live with the sidestep and the Tinchi, I mean, they just go wherever the hell they want to go. Unless you can break their armor and get them off the pitch, they just get in your way constantly. They're so annoying. The two Swiss coaches, Yokoero and Strider, who are great in playing overs. I mean, they won tournaments with them, competitive tournaments. It's impressive. The best I've done with flings is I came in third overall in a tournament, and it was three rounds. First round, I played a Necro team and I beat them. Second round, I tied 1-1 against the Chaos Dwarf team. That right there, to me, was a huge win, even though it was a tie. And in my last round, I played a Dark Elf team. It was against a very good coach, and I, I will readily and freely admit that He was dice fucked at almost every turn, just constantly. <laughs> I had him pinned to the sideline, and right when I was about to blitz him with one of my flings, he used dump off, and he ended up rolling a one. Missed. Oh. And I ended up with the ball, and then I ended up scoring, and I had Carla and Rumbelow, and he was just irritated by the end, and I, I couldn't blame him. So he's like, James, every time you go to do something, you're able to do it. Every time I go to do something, I roll a one. It's not fair. Like, yeah, but you're playing elves, so it's fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, it's very fair. So, yeah, that was the best showing so far in the six months that I played them. Came in third overall in a 24-plus person tournament. So it was a good day. Yeah. Good day to be a fling. It's always good to be a fling. <laughs> always good to be a fling, absolutely. Let's talk about the World Cup for a little bit. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, only because everybody's been talking about it. Just five to ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, sure. What I'm mostly interested in from a tournament organizer standpoint is after reading your letter, just kind of, you know, touching on what all was involved. That to me was just such a great read. And I really appreciate you taking the time to write what you did. Just so people listening, if they, you know, didn't read what you had wrote, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about everything that you did and were involved in leading up to the World Cup? Oh, that's like more than five to ten minutes. <laughs> Well, in real um, life, it was like, what, two years? Close to two years you spent prepping and working towards it? Uh, actually, a little bit more than that. I think I started in October 2016, basically, when, when I first came up with the idea to bring it down to this area here. So that was shortly after Luca. Yeah, it was just like three or four weeks before there was an announcement that the NAF is putting a bid out for the World Cup. 
and everybody was already talking about who's going to be the next one and Luca was so great and, and uh, they feel sorry for the next one. <laughs> yeah, big shoes to fill. Yeah, so I just thought, well, bring it here in this area because it's a lovely area and I don't want to drive too far because I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just uh, assembled a group of people around me who always wanted to help and we started from here looking for a venue big enough for holding 2,000 people roughly. And we kind of chose Donburn after internal battle between Friedrichshafen and Donburn, two fairgrounds competing against each other. And then we started out thinking about what miniature team we should do, what fundraising ideas we can have, and, and so on and so on. And the closer we got to the event, more and more ideas came out and, and more and more details came into place when the registration started and I was reading, well, we have a deaf player on board. I knew I had to do something for getting a sign language transporter into the event itself. I was not aware of that. That's amazing. I didn't know that. We had two wheelchair people there, actually three, since one of the players from Holland actually got injured a few days before the event in Donburn by riding a bike. And so he was actually sitting in the wheelchair for the first uh, three or four games and then his injury went to bed and he had to sit out the rest of the tournament, unfortunately. So we had to make sure the wheelchair people always play at the same tables. And also we had two other people who had walking issues, I should say, just because of injuries they uh, suffered in the past. And we also always made sure they've always played on the same table. We had to make sure the, the, the aisles in between are big enough so whenever you walk past players, you don't bump into their chairs. And at one point when we hit the 1,400 people, we decided we need the second hall in order to allow this room and also give catering a better chance to feed 1,400 people. Wow. How did you feel when you got to that point where you're like, all right, we just surpassed the uh, total number of attendees for the last World Cup in Luka? It was an exciting moment at this point. I mean, the, the thing is, the participant numbers went up in December like exponentially. And I knew where we had to break even numbers in the beginning of December, we are far away from that. And I was worried, oh God, we're going to lose money like crazy on this one. And then just before Christmas, when we hit the Luca numbers, I was okay, I think we're going to make it. And at this point, I was thinking about Andrea Parella, who did the last World Cup, and how difficult it probably was to get all those numbers in for 912 people. And now exceeding this one, it was like, wow, that's crazy. I could relate to this on a very small scale only because I've run probably about 40, 40 some tournaments. And I don't think I've ever come out in the black financially. Most of the time where I run these tournaments, I always end up putting some of my own money into it because I want to run the tournament I want to run. I'm not worried about the money. But when you're talking on a scale of 1400 people, I can't even, I mean, I would imagine that you probably might've had some sleepless nights feeling that pressure or that uncertainty. You know, are we gonna break even? Are we gonna lose money? Are we gonna hit our goals? Like that's gotta be a little nerve wracking. Yeah, in December, it was very nerve wracking at the beginning. Afterwards, it got quite relaxed, except of the one month before and one month after now, when the bills came in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a little bit nerve wracking right now. And uh, yeah. So there were two things that you mentioned. One was putting together a team of people. So obviously for something like this, you couldn't pull it off you know, by yourself. You had your team of organizers, then you had a team of referees. I don't know any of the people who worked with you 
in helping you put this World Cup together. So if you could tell me a little bit about them and what they did, I would love to hear it. Well, the referee part was quite easy. I just talked to Old Man Monkey and Old Man Draco, who were running the refs basically for the last few World Cups, and told them, oh, you put your people together and I don't worry about this one. This was super easy. For the organizers here, it was logistical a little difficult because here in, in the Lake Conscious area, there are not too many Blood Bowl players around. And the event was basically organized by the SBBM, which is a tournament series in southern Germany and Switzerland and Austria, where we got people together. And they're kind of spread out. I mean, Munich is about two hours away from me. We have Ingo Trondua and Mark Andy from the Mainz uh, Heidelberg area, which is uh, like three or four hours away. We had René, who is our local here. Then we have had Milo, who lives in Zurich, which is also one and a half hours away. So most of the time we did our meetings via Skype, where we talked everything. and. Most of the local stuff was basically for Vinny and me to organize, talking to the venue, setting up a bank account and all those things here that we had to do locally. Just before the event itself, people came in, to my taste a little bit late, I think, to help locally with those markers. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go into the markers thing, this uh, was completely oh, underestimated. Horrible decision at this point. Not the markets itself, but the way we, we treated them in the packages. You can read it in the post. <laughs> oh, no, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. There are certain things and experiences that you're going to learn from. And, you know, obviously this was a learning experience. So, And we were lucky to have uh, Christian Schwager on board, who just moved from New Zealand back to Munich or, or, or Bavaria in 2016. And his artwork is just amazing. So he did the team for us, had bit document for us, everything involving graphics and, and artwork. He was our man to go to. That's fantastic when you have somebody like that on your team, you know, who can give you those type of things. I'm very fortunate that in Florida here, Florida Blood Bowl, there's a guy that we use and we're actually childhood friends. I've known him since he was in diapers. His name is Gary. Who is this Gary character? Gary Radziak. And he's an artist and he's a stay-at-home dad. And when I started asking him to do Blood Bowl stuff for us, like, hey, I'm running a tournament based off of the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but I want to use Lord Borak. Bueller? Bueller? He's like, what? Who's Lord <laughs> Borak? So I would explain to him what I wanted. And, you know, sure enough, you would just say, hey, I want this crazy thing. And he would draw it. And it would be amazing. We started doing tournament posters for all the events that we would do. And then we would sign them and put them on the walls at the game stores we'd play at, like large 24 by 36 size posters. Yeah. All the coaches would sign them. Or we started doing 11 by 17, like individual posters that the coaches would take back. And um, we have a guy in Gainesville, Eric Nyberger. He actually attended the World Cup. His walls in his uh, condo are totally plastered with Blood Bowl posters. It's, it, I'll have to show you a picture. It's an impressive sight. Wow. Well, he also bought the World Cup pitch. It's, I just mailed it to him <laughs> a few days ago. Oh, really? Oh, he didn't tell me that. I was going to actually reach out to you and see if there were any left. I was tempted to get one. Actually, yeah, we have a few left. So if you want to yes, have one, one on the side uh, for me, drop me an email or... I will. I will send you a message. You know what else I would like? I would love to see some pictures of your halfling team, and I would love to post them on the Two Drunk Flings and Friends Facebook page, if you don't mind. Sure. I just have to do it next week. <laughs> Yeah, there's no rush. But yeah, having that core group of people around you to help you accomplish your goal yeah. is certainly a great thing. I mean, I've never had a situation where I've had to work with a team, though, 
from a distance and just rely on technology like Skype. Obviously, now that we're a couple of weeks past the event and people are able to see some of the things that they weren't happy with, what they're lacking is kind of the full picture and an appreciation for all of the hard work and just the uh, level of dedication and time and money and effort that went into putting on a tournament like this. I appreciate it. Like I said, I run more tournaments than I play in, and that's just how I've always been. I actually ran a Blood Bowl tournament before I ever played in an AF tournament. I ran one. <laughs> cool. I enjoy doing it. And, you know, at, at every turn leading up to it. And, you know, I had the opportunity to go. And my kids are little. They're eight and five. I was wrestling with it for about a couple of days. Liam Johnson from the podcast was like, come on, mate. He's like, you got to come. He's like, uh, you know, we'll take care of everything. You just got to show up and play some Blood Bowl, play some flings. And uh, it was breaking my heart because I really wanted to come. And I just kept thinking, you know, my, my kids aren't going to understand why I'm in another country. You know, why I'm not home, why they're not going to see me for over a week. And I thought, well, in four more years after this World Cup, my kids are going to be older and probably not care what planet I'm on, let alone what country I'm in. So we'll bring him along. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to fly, but you never know. I mean, I, I look at uh, someone like Brian, too, who uh, was fortunate to bring his son JJ with him. And they weren't just all, you know, older Blood Bowl coaches. There were some younger kids there who were playing. Actually, yeah, we had two schools who sent two teams. They usually go to the Nuff Championship in Nottingham every year. Okay. Stephen Marlowe Stick is a teacher, and he did some blood bowl in school and built up a group of people, young students who play blood bowl, enjoy it, paint, and uh, attend the Nuff oh. Championship every year. And just before the registration was over, or it was over, I noticed that we basically have two slots open for two squads, basically. And I asked him, you know what? If you manage somehow to bring students over here, I waive you the entrance fee for each student. That's awesome. And they talked to their school presidents, uh, the parents, and they pulled it off. So they came with 10 students and two teachers, and uh, they just had a blast. Unfortunately, they had to leave earlier on Sunday, uh, so the last game was quite rushed. Yeah. Because they had to catch a plane. Yeah, but I think they, they just enjoyed it. Oh, I'm sure they did. That sounds like you'd be having the time of your life at that age to be able to attend an event like that. And the guy, you know, the teacher who is having these kids learn how to play Blood Bowl and paint and everything, that guy deserves a medal. What a guy. What a guy. What a guy. Because that is a great way to recruit new players for Blood Bowl. Start them off young. Actually, he put a nice document on Talk Fantasy Football on how he started it and how he would run a school league and things like this. It's very, very interesting post to read. I really can recommend this one. I will. I'll have to check it out. I don't spend as much time as I should on Talk Fantasy Football on the forums. The old guard Blood Bowl coaches, I know that that's their bread and butter. They spend a lot of time on there, whereas a lot of the newer players are all about the social media, the Instagram and the Twitter and the Facebook. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff, a lot of good content that you can find on the forums to Talk Fantasy Football. So the other thing that I heard you say that I'm just curious about is you did some fundraising for the event. What kind of fundraising did you do and how successful was it? We mostly asked the, the vendors to send, send up some goods instead of like they had to pay for the booth and also uh, they can split it up a little bit by cash and by sending goods. And we ran a couple of raffles on larger tournaments to get some money. And this was quite successful, I have to say. 
We also did the two t-shirts for uh, the World Cup team, which we sent around. That was 50-50% uh, successful, I think, because we still have tons of t-shirts left. <laughs> yeah, this was about it. Mostly it was raffles and those t-shirts. I bought one of those t-shirts that uh, not this past year, but the year before at Chaos Cup, which was my first Chaos Cup. I like that t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> that was the guy who did the artwork that you were talking about from... Um... Yep. Yeah. Christian, yeah. Fantastic artwork. So World Cup in and of itself, from the guy sitting at home watching everybody there, it was hard for me because I wanted to be there, but it was hard for me to see a lot of the social media posts where people, you know, they were being internet trolls, in my opinion. If you're in outside of your league, outside of your hometown, outside of your country even, and you're surrounded by people of a like-minded nature who enjoy and have a passion, love doing the same thing you're doing, and you're with your friends, and you're drinking beer, and you're having food, and you're playing Blood Bowl, and you're having a good time, I can't even imagine what there could possibly be to gripe about. I mean, things aren't always going to go according to plan, but there just seemed to be, you know, at least at first, just more than I would like to see too much negative energy coming out of that. And, you know, you, obviously you hit some hurdles in the event regarding the software or, you know, just teams dropping and having to schedule and organize things. And I'm going to say now what I said in response to what you posted is thank you for not giving up, for following through, for pushing to make it right and make it better and make it 100%. I feel like most people wouldn't even try. Like once they got to a point where they felt defeated, they would just find a shortcut or give up or not make it as good as they possibly can. But you really, from my perspective, as an outsider looking at the whole thing with that certain kind of perspective being at home and not being there, I feel you did a great job of turning it around. So hats off. I mean, I was close to giving up at two points. One was uh, Thursday night when I lost the uh, dropped out coaches list. Mm -hmm. I, I thought at this point it was lost. You found out the next morning when you went back to the venue, right? Yeah, right. After game one, when I found out the other issue, I was like, oh shit, I just want to go home now. Right away! <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there were 1,400 people out there getting more and more uh, frustrated. And believe me, I was getting even more frustrated with everything what was going on there. I'm just glad that Milo was there all the time and, and working his ass off, even with the health conditioning getting worse by the minute, basically. I mean, in a regular situation, he should have stayed home in bed and get his cold and sinus infection all taken care of. But no, he was there and saved basically our asses everywhere. I mean, he was helping out left and right. He was in the front taking changes to the squad seven men squads and, and uh, correcting results and everything. And people misclicked on, on the web application. Even during the whole two years leading up to this one, I mean, when we started setting out the, the software, we talked about should we do paperwork like we had in Luca, but we knew we didn't have enough people actually to run four or five computers at the same time. So I wrote this Excel software to do the draw and everything. And we wanted to have an app where we just can show the results and do other stuff. But unfortunately, um, we were let down by the professional app programmers uh, twice, actually. And, and Milo stepped in and did this wonderful web application based on Microsoft ASPX programming. And we are the first ones, to my knowledge, maybe there are some others else, which have online data entry and processing of everything. 
And when we did this the first time at UKTC and later on also at Tilian Team Cup and German Team Ball, we knew the software was capable of handling everything and, all, and everything was running smoothly. The results were getting in fast. People just need to get used to the input-output system, basically, that all captains have to approve their data and then have to verify if the opponent coach or the opponent captain did correctly and then you have the ping-pong in case there was an error. I think the way it was set up by Milo was just awesome. Everything else behind the software was also working unless you put wrong data in like I did to the worst possible timing. But other than that, I mean, there's no software right now on the market or on the free capability of, of handling 1,400 people. And it's also something what people don't understand really. I mean, if you run a 300 people tournament, like the Eurobowl scores handling those things well, and even Mike Davis did a great job in, in setting up score that way that he can handle three to 400 people. But honestly, I don't know if score can handle 1,400. Yeah, it's a big ask. And you don't find these things out until, you know, you could do all the testing you want and shit is still gonna happen. You know, Nuffle screws your dice, but Nuffle also hates software too. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times, like, I've had score do some funky, weird shit on me. And, you know, everybody's waiting and you're starting the application, saving the BBD file as something else, just trying to get it to work. I mean, there's been once or twice where score has screwed me. And I love using score. I don't use, I mean, some people I know will use Excel spreadsheets or paper. They don't even bother with the software. I love score. Score is great. It is. It is fantastic. But I've had a few times where I've actually had to go and even re-enter a lot of the data because something got screwed up and it just happens. And you're coming from somebody who works in IT, sometimes you spend more time trying to figure out the reason why as opposed to figuring out the way through it. And you just need to move forward and get on with it and figure out the best way to get to where you need to be. So it is what it is. I mean, <laughs> technology <laughs> is supposed to make our life easier, but sometimes, you know, it, it screws you. Yeah. I mean, this is also the reason why I started out with uh, doing the Excel sheet with uh, VBA macro programming, because I knew when, if something goes wrong, I knew exactly where to look and how to change the code and everything. Unless the score, I don't know how it works. I don't know the programming language. If something goes wrong, I'm completely lost and I have nobody there to help me. Right. You got to stick with what you know. The huge delays of the World Cup were not because I couldn't find the source or the code problems. It was all the huge mass of data, which was at one point missing, basically, which had to be re-entered or changed. And this one had nothing to do with the code. The program itself worked as it's supposed to do, but shit out, it's typical principle. Yeah, and when you're re-entering data, it's time-consuming. So there's there's no doubt about that. But no, I think you recovered wonderfully. I think you, you did a great job powering through it and keeping it going. And I hope everybody appreciates that. I hope everybody takes the time to, uh, you know, read your letter that you posted on Facebook. That was on the uh, World Cup Facebook page, I believe. I also posted it in the NAF forum and uh, also on Talk Fantasy of Football and also on the French forum. <laughs> Actually, the French were the first ones to read it. And how did the French respond? <laughs> Good. Uh, actually, some people talk bad about French people. I learned that the French community is probably the best organized community worldwide. They have a huge amount of humor and they're just accommodating to everything you throw at them, basically. They complain, but that's the usual, like Germans always complain as well. But <laughs> at the end, basically, they, they, they stand behind you. See, people don't know 
And this is one of the things as a, as a tournament organizer is encouraging, you know, people in leagues. Like in Florida, I think we probably have like about five or six leagues that I know of. And we're all encouraging each other to travel outside of Florida, travel outside of the country, go to Canada, travel outside of this continent and go overseas and play Blood Bowl because it changes your perspective on everything, on the game and the people and how you play. You know, we call them Blood Bowl ambassadors. And we had two from Florida, three actually. And the beauty of it is when these coaches come back, they're now telling every coach, hey, I was at World Cup and you have to go next time. You have to go. If you can't go, you have to go to Euro Bowl. You have to go to- A Morocco uh, Cup. A Morocco <laughs> Cup, right. And we are, like, I went to a Morocco Cup for the first time in Virginia. And we put in a bid to try and bring it to Florida. But in my heart of hearts, I wanted to go to Canada. So I'd been there before, but I knew I wanted to go back to Canada. So I was secretly hoping they would win the bid. One of the Canadian teams putting in a bid. And I'm friends with all these guys. So I'm so happy that, that they're going to be doing a Morocco Cup. And we have at least one team, probably a strong second team, and possibly even a third team just from Florida going. When Eric came back, he's like, you guys got to go to the next World Cup. You have to go. So there's already several of us who are planning it. I'm also trying to get the team together for a Morocco Cup next year. So Oh, I hope you can do it. You may see some Bavarians there. <laughs> I hope so. I'm fortunate because for those of you who don't know, Jim Lanier is old man monkey and you know he's been with the NAF for a long time. I think he was the original treasurer. Yep. And he's over in Tampa. And he ran one of the biggest and first Blood Bowl tournaments here in Florida, the Three Kingdoms Challenge. At the time, you know, people from Specialist Games came over from Games Workshop to be at this tournament. It was a big deal. And he ran it for three years in a row. And then, you know, Jim moved on to some other things. And when I moved to Florida and started looking at the history of Blood Bowl here, I saw this tournament and I wanted to bring it back to Florida and have it be like our signature tournament. And I remember reaching out to Jim for the first time, talking to him about can I run this tournament? This was your tournament. You know, can I have your permission to do it? Not only did he give me his permission to do it, but he worked closely with me to help me do it. And in doing so, you know, we forged a great friendship and I, I love every opportunity that I have to hang out with him. So to be able to, you know, have an evening for me or a morning for you and spend some time talking about your experiences with World Cup and Blood Bowl in general and you know finding out things about you that I didn't know before. I can't even begin to tell you how much I truly appreciate you spending the time to do that. So I want to say thank you. You're welcome. But yeah, Jim is a, like we do a AMA. It's a live thing we do and we broadcast it live on YouTube and people chat and we've had Jim on there a few times and inevitably it all goes the same way. We start talking about something, then Jim will start talking and then it'll be an hour and a half of Jim talking and we're all like, <laughs> we're all just like listening to him like transfixed like uh Old Man Monkey's telling us a story. We're, we're like, we're waiting on every word. We love listening to him tell stories about Blood Bowl, you know, in the early days and about the math and about all of his experiences. And I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. Same as you. So I love that stuff. And, uh, you know, I want to do that stuff. Like next year, I plan on doing two things, traveling to tournaments that I want to go to in the U.S. here. Brian, too, runs Rocky Mountain Rampage. I want to go to Solomon runs the Underworld Cup. Mark Perry runs Sin City Bowl I want to go to. There's so many. And then with Oracle up in Canada, I'm finally going to Oklahoma and Spikey in March. So it'll be 20 some hours in an RV with 11 other guys. <laughs> but it is probably going to be the best Blood Bowl road trip ever. <laughs> Definitely. And if not, we're going to make it so. 
And the other thing I want to do next year is I want to do more charity work. I admire guys like Jamie Fisher and Nate Beam for the charity work that they do in putting together these tournaments and raising funds for you know any charity is a good one. That's something that I haven't done yet and I want to do. I mean, the Bloodbug community is really amazing. I mean, when I talked to the security guys at the World Cup, they said it was amazing to see such a group highly intoxicated by alcohol. Drink! 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 <laughs> And still so peaceful, friendly, hugging everyone and enjoying themselves. Even Thursday night with people standing in line for hours and on Friday not being able to play, everything was calm. People were talking to each other and enjoying themselves. And, and the security guys said this was one of the easiest jobs they ever had. That's fantastic. I've heard from a lot of other gamers, whether they play, you know, video games, whether they play 40K or it doesn't matter what they play. I hear the same thing constantly that the Blood Bowl community is the best gaming community out there. And I have to agree. I think for the most part, the people embrace each other and are happy to help each other with whatever, whether it's trying to find a set of dice, whether it's helping somebody get to a tournament. It doesn't matter what it is. I think everybody in the Blood Bowl community are very accommodating for the most part. It is a great group of people. Definitely are. Now that World Cup is over, what are your plans for 2020? Besides taking, you know, a well-deserved break. Nope. Break? What's the <laughs> if break? You, if, you, yeah, <laughs> if, if you want. You, you're probably already knee-deep in like five other projects. Who knows? No, no projects. Maybe some painting projects, which uh, have been on the back for like two, three years now. But actually, I want to attend some tournaments I was invited to. Definitely want to try to go to America Cup. Uh, I want to go to one of the French tournaments. Probably pronounce it wrong. Nice. The south of Lyon and Geneva, in the mountains somewhere. I want to go to one of the English tournaments, if possible. Brexit allowing traveling. <laughs> hmm. Never know. Also want to go down to Spain for the first time, maybe do some Italian tournaments more. Definitely go to Palinka Bowl in, in Budapest again. And of course, Euro Bowl in, in, in Poland is on my list. I would love to go to Euro Bowl. And of course, all the local tournaments. Well, not all the tournaments, but my ones, which are fixed points, like the Royal Rumble close to Munich, is always a must. Then my own little tournament on Father's Day. Yeah, just Blood Bowl everywhere. <laughs> there is, and I feel like you got to experience it. Before World Cup, Nate Beam and a couple of other coaches, I think, were over in Spain for a tournament over there. And seeing pictures coming back with uh, the coaches and the food and just everybody having a good time, it was more than just being at the Blood Bowl tournament. It looked like it was just an awesome experience in and of itself. And then you have Blood Bowl as the proverbial cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. Yep. I recommend, you know, and certainly I'm going to be trying to do so myself, is, is traveling to some of these Blood Bowl tournaments in other countries. I, I just think it would be a real eye-opener and an overall good experience for a person, just being a person, let alone a Blood Bowl coach. With all the Blood Bowl that you play, do you play many variants like Sevens or Street Bowl or Dungeon Bowl? Never ever had, but always treat to do so. <laughs> We do a lot of variants here in Florida, and yeah. the Sevens is starting to catch on. Uh, it's being played up in Canada and Washington. They do street ball in Virginia. I'd be curious to know someone like Jim. I was asking him about it too, and he's just like, "Yeah, I get that." But I'm curious to know, like, with people who have a long history of playing Blood Bowl or standard Blood Bowl or Elevens, how they feel about the variants and playing. 
Well, basically for me, it's just a lack of opportunity to play it with someone. I mean, I play in the Munich League, where we have also a sevens league or sub league going on. But is that I like live... a development league, like to start prior to like the full league? No, actually, in Munich we have several divisions running in parallel. We have the Premier Division, where all the high-ranked teams are playing, and then we have the Rookie Division, which is rookie because you always start with the rookie teams for one season and then start over. Then there's the Open League where Whoever wants to play with whatever team you just play, you can also basically create a team there to play in open league, uh, and then later on go to premier with that one. And also we have a subdivision for Blackpool Sevens, full league running, completely separate from all the other ones. We also have like a newbies league where all the new coaches whoever are there and wants to create their own league so they don't go against the veterans and get beaten by them constantly. Are you using like OBBLM to manage these leagues? Yep, okay. we do, but I'm not the commissioner, fortunately. I had the pleasure of speaking with uh, Tim Ivey. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Ibe. What a classy gentleman this guy is. I was looking for some help with my OBBLM and he volunteered to help me. He did a team viewer session with me, spent over an hour and a half with me, and I learned so much from him. And sure enough, I, I learned that he knows Old Man Monkey as well. Everybody knows Old Man Monkey. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, had nothing but great things to say about Jim. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Tim, what a stand-up guy. What a great guy. He doesn't know me at all. And he takes the time out of his day to help me with my OBBLM. And I learned so much from himself. Tim, I met the first time in the U.S. actually. You know, he's in Germany. Mm -hmm. But we both went to Underworld Cup in Michigan that one year. He was on a business trip and uh, found out, okay, this is one close tournament. He just goes there. Funny thing is, it was run by Americans. There were Canadians there and two Germans. Uh, Tim actually won the tournament. A Canadian came second. Then it was me third. <laughs> and I think Oldman Maki was best American on fifth place or so. <laughs> it was just hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah, speaking of like winning tournaments. So the first tournament that I ran before I ever played in one was back in Pennsylvania. And I was very fortunate where I had uh, Nate Beam helping me you know, set up and organize and, and run the tournament along with um, Steve and Scott from the Both Down podcast were very much willing to help me run my first tournament. So the guys from Virginia, I think a bunch of them came up in a car, maybe five or six of them, and they walked off with all of our prizes. They won like first, second, third, most touchdowns, casualties, stunny. They annihilated everybody who was local in my area. So all of our Blood Bowl players were so disheartened by the whole thing. Oh. They wanted to run a tournament that was not NAF, just like, you know, an unofficial tournament just for, you know, locals <laughs> so they can kind of get some tournament experience underneath their belt. So I organized the tournament. I ended up playing in the tournament. I ended up winning the tournament. So the only tournament that I've ever won is a non-NAF tournament. So I find that kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah. I won my first only tournament in 2003, I think, in, in Switzerland. And at this point, there was not enough trophy. So everybody wants tournaments, has a little enough trophy, and yep. I'm one of the few who doesn't. <laughs> uh, I learned early on, I take much more satisfaction and happiness in running a tournament and seeing others participate and have fun and you know, getting people into the game, expanding, growing the hobby. I get more out of that than I actually do playing in the tournaments. I mean, I love playing flings and I love playing Blood Bowl in general, but for me, you know, I found my niche. So I like doing what I do and encouraging others to do what they want to do. If somebody comes to me and it's like, hey, 
I want to run a tournament, but I have no idea how. I love being the guy to be able to help them, point them in the right direction. I love helping people, especially in Blood Bowl. <laughs> Always a good time. Well, I think that I've probably eaten up a lot of your time this morning. There's probably some breakfast waiting for you or a good cup of coffee. Yep. And there's a pillow waiting for me. It is now almost 2 a.m. here in the States. And I want to say thank you, Torsten, for all of your hard work going into the World Cup and all that you do for Blood Bowl and for the NAF. On behalf of the Two Drunk Flings and Friends podcast, I want to say thank you. On behalf of the Blood Bowl community, I want to say thank you. On behalf of one of your biggest fans, Eric Nyberger, he wants to say thank you. I wanted to make sure that I told you that. Thank you for spending some time with me tonight, your morning, and talking about all things Blood Bowl. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And wish you a good night now. Get some rest and probably talk to each other in one of the days. Yes, definitely. I'll reach out to you because I do want to see that halfling team that you painted with the chocolate bars. And hopefully I look forward to seeing you at a Morpho Cup. I hope you can make that work. Yeah, maybe we flings. I don't know if they let me. <laughs> well, I'll be playing. My year will be up yeah. taking flings to the Morpho Cup. That'll be a good place to finish my year. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon. Yep. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. So this is James, a.k.a. Legion, saying good morning, good night, and looking forward to the next interview. We have a couple of good ones lined up. We'll be talking to one of our flingmates, Monty, who does a lot of Blood Bowl on the computer. Everybody knows who he is. I think we're going to set up a match where I play him and he embarrasses me, but it'll all be for fun. So that's okay. So we got a lot more good stuff coming up for you in the weeks ahead. Thanks for listening. Keep playing more Blood Bowl.